All right, everyone, welcome to the Above Average Football Fan Podcast for above average football fans and below average football fans who want to learn more about the game, or if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, welcome back in to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan, episode two, oh, excuse me, season two, episode 10. Wow. That is crazy to think about. We've been well, doing starting this off on the wrong foot. Yeah, I know. It's not good. It's not good. As you can hear, I am here with my good buddy. He just got back from his press conference announcing he's removing his name for consideration for the LSU head coaching position. Thomas, the man, Bowen. Bowen, how are you? I'm doing great. It was a, it was a tough decision. I just I don't know if I could deal with that, that much corn dog in my life. <laughs> that is true. It's a lot of corn dogs. A lot of corn dogs. Uh, a lot of spicy stuff too, though, and I mean, I'm I'm down for that. But you know, some Creole and whatnot. All right, here we are. We're gonna start her off with our weekly noticings or our big reaction from the week. Go into Clemson, Pitt, going to Carolina, Texas A&M, and our game of the week is Old Miss at LSU. Is that right? LSU is the home team there. Nope. Yep. Nope. All nope. the way around. That's in Oxford. Yep. Dang. I am. I'm starting off on a bang. Lock it up. Lock it this up. This is starting great. I haven't even gotten into the sauce yet. All right, so big noticings, and it's I, I'm a broken record at this point. Georgia every week just keeps proving to us that they're on their own thing. Um, big shout out to SEC Shorts their their video this week um, with uh, the Georgia fans, and one guy brings in his new girlfriend that he's met on Tinder, and uh, <laughs> it is Hope, uh, as in they have Hope, and she's making. Uh, screen she's got a screen printing business and she's screen printed shirts up that say national champion 2021 already uh and and one fan kind of loses it so i enjoyed that one that was good stuff and then my next thing is iowa iowa what happened what was that what what did you do man like you had the clear path what what just happened i wow i don't know thomas you got anything else from the past week you want to sound off on yeah, I, I really want to know two things. Number one, who takes a mustard bottle to a football game? And number two, who takes a golf ball? And I'm assuming maybe even a range ball. That thing was definitely like a neon yellow, right? Absolutely, yeah, 100%. So that was another SEC short video they did. It was the security guard at Neyland Stadium, like going <laughs> through the guy's bag. and was like, mustard? Yeah, that's fine. Golf balls? Cool. Like, yeah. blades? All right, no problem. Um, so, yeah, I I had heard that they have one of those, like, top golf events at Neyland. You know, Neyland, top golf's been going around and doing stadiums like that. They did Williams-Brice. I went to it uh, a couple several months back now. So, I don't know if balls were just hanging around, but, uh, wow. Uh, $250,000 yeah. $250, fine, I'm going to be honest, feels a little light. Feels a little light for yeah. throwing – uh, a golf ball at a guy from way away. If that takes him out in the temple, that, that's putting him down. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, look, I, I, I get, I get the fact that Tennessee uh, of late has not had a, a whole lot to, to cheer about, particularly winning a, a big game like that at home. But come on, man! I mean, really, who, who's who's throwing that golf ball? I, I at first, Top Golf, that's a good angle. Um, I, I thought that was just you know, some random sidewalk redneck Tennessee fan that just uh, p- finished playing around at the Muni earlier that day and, and left left a ball or two in his pocket. But I don't think so. You don't – you take that ball in with some malicious intent. And there, there's a point to it. You reached in the back of your car during tailgate 
after a few too many sips of Tennessee whiskey and said, I'm going to bring this in just in case I need it. And that's yeah. exactly what happened. Um, they don't like Lane Kiffin. They have every every right not to after how he handled them and did what he did with them. But, uh, yeah, that was intentional. But uh, you, you know what? Speak, speaking of, of Lane Kiffin and what he did to them, also props to Lane Kiffin for handling that whole situation beautifully. You know, that, that, was, that was a ridiculously long stoppage. It was crazy. I, I I'm glad I got to witness it live, but haven't seen a stoppage like that in forever. I believe it it went on 15, 20 minutes, but Lane kept his composure and kept his team in the game when otherwise old Lane, that would have gotten out of hand. Well, and here's the thing also, uh, we were spending some time on this, but also one of the things I liked about Lane. So as he's leaving the stadium at the end of the game, he's waving to the crowd, pulling a Steve Spurrier circa his first year, waving at the Georgia fans in Athens. I was there for that, blowing them kisses. He's doing the same thing to the Vols fans. Somebody throws a water bottle and he Odell Beckham one hands it. And it is just <laughs> athletic as all get out, throws it to a guy kind of near the portal as he's leaving. Lane's just eating it up. Like he yeah. he loves it. He owns the state of Tennessee and he just he enjoys the heck out of it. He's got he's living fr- rent free in their head, as you like to say. Yes, he is. Switching to another team that wears orange. Clemson is back in action this week. The Tigers go to Pitt to play. Thomas talking about Clemson's offensive game plan, and, and it's something that's being said right now a lot around Columbia, and we'll get to it when we to that when we talk about the Gamecocks. But you got to think at this point they are who they are. You you can't you can't keep going. Oh, DJ is going to snap out of this. You know their offense is going to snap out of this. I just don't know that they are. Yeah, yeah, and and you know it's also last week in the Syracuse game was was a prime example of this. But Clemson has that that what I like to call the Auburn horseshoe up their rears, like Auburn had years ago. They keep finding ways to just fall bass backwards into wins, and they should have lost last week if it was if it were weren't for terrible clock management and end of game play calling by Dino Babers and his staff. Yeah, they, they definitely got lucky there. That they definitely dodged a bullet there. So talking about like who they are, we said you know I kind of said they are who they are. DJ has thrown four interceptions or four touchdowns against three interceptions all year. Those are not Clemson quarterback numbers of late. He threw for less than two hundred yards against Syracuse. That's the fifth time this season he's done that. Granted, one of those was SC State where he was out pretty early. So you want to call it four times out of six, still not so so solid there. 47% of his passes are going to two players. Their wide receiver, Thomas, there's no way I'm saying this guy's last name right. Ngata. 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 Okay, that's what it looks like. Ngata. There you go. Uh, uh, Josh Ngata and then Justin Ross. Here's something interesting I found. They have three players, the two guys we just mentioned, and their tight end, Davis Allen, are the only three players on the team with double-digit receptions. Ridiculous. To, to compare that to South Carolina, which obviously, if you're a Gamecock fan, you know is not a tremendous offense either. We have six. We have six players with double-digit receptions. They have three. That is just baffling. Like it is just baffling to me. It's a it's a list of things. It's it's poor quarterback play. It's honestly some poor scheme, poor blocking. It's everything. So here's what I'm gonna say. Put the defense for Pitt, who likes to take a little bit of chances up front, but then kind of plays quarters behind it. And Thomas, you'll talk more about that when you get your your time on the mic here. But 
Uh, here's what I'm doing. I'm putting two wide receivers to the wide side of the field. I'm putting Justin Ross by himself. And then I'm swinging the back out of the backfield. And I'm making that corner or that linebacker make a choice. Whoever's got the flat coverage. Do I run with Justin on a, on a vertical or a curl? So if, it's, if they're sitting on top on quarters, or do I go fly out to the flat and cover the, tie, and cover the back out of the backfield? That, to me, is the easiest play, one of the easiest plays in football. It's a variation of curl flat, which you see a lot in air raid offenses and really lots of pass concepts. But it's, it's an even simpler read because that, that running back swinging out really is going to put the linebacker in a bind. And that's how simple you got to get it. They have got to find a way to run the ball. Kobe Pace is their running back at this point, and they hadn't seen much out of him. Uh, the run game has really disappointed Clemson fans and the Clemson coaches this year. Granted, they had a transfer. They've had some injuries, you know, all those things. But it used to be at Clemson for the past what, four or five years, you know, next man up, we too deep, as Lee Coleman likes to say, we too deep. I don't know that you are anymore, Mr. Coleman. I don't know that you are anymore. Coming into this game, Thomas, and we'll get more into this in, in the who you got, Clemson is not favored. I'm going to give you the shout-out here. You pointed out to me this is the first time against an ACC opponent they are not favored since 2016. Insane. It's crazy. It's crazy. I, I, I didn't – and honestly, I didn't see – I didn't see this coming this year. I've seen um, on Reddit message boards, a, a lot of people, a lot of people that follow Clemson a lot closer than I do. Some people have, have even admitted as fans, hey, we kind of saw some of this coming. You know, it's maddening, whatever. But <clears throat> it, it, it's crazy kind of what's going on. But from uh, from a defensive standpoint here, the way that I think Pitt is going to play this. So so let, let's let's just from a. From a basic standpoint, this is this is a four-three over defense, four-three base defense, four down linemen, three linebackers. But just by way of background, four-three over, and you also have a four-three under. Mm -hmm. And it, in its most basic sense, a four-three over is going to shift your front four away from the tight end, whereas your four-three under is going to be stemmed or shift towards the tight end. Mm -hmm. So. Defensive coordinator Randy Bates, but let's be honest, this is this is Pat Narduzzi's defense. He, he's a he's a defensive guy, always has been. Uh, their defense is predicated on stopping the run, pressuring the quarterback, gives their cornerbacks a chance to win with physicality on the outside. Now, oftentimes this can be a little high risk, high reward. Uh, that Western Michigan game. Western Michigan torched them for about I think forty four points on over five hundred yards. But let's not forget the fact that this, this pit defense is still third in the league with sacks. They're averaging around three and a half sacks a game, second in ACC run defense. So if I'm pit, this is how I'm defending this Clemson offense. That Western Michigan game, Western Michigan ran a ton of RPOs, run pass options, and slanted pit to death, just crushed them in the middle of the field. Mm -hmm. I think Clemson's going to try to do the same as far as their passing game goes, especially with a, with a tight end leaking out. You mentioned Allen, I believe it was, their tight end. Yeah, Davis Allen, I think is his name. Yeah, so you, you got to worry about him leaking out on the backside. But you mentioned quarters coverage with, with essentially four deep. Yep. Now, you're going to see a lot of quarters covers. That's exactly how I'd play this. But, but I'm going to play my safeties up a little closer, roughly 10 yards off the ball. So it's going to make it look like a nine-man box. Mm -hmm. 
This, I think, is going to help defend against those quick slants that I think Clemson's going to try to hit them with, that Western Michigan hammered them with. But here's the, the, the problem is it's going to put their cornerbacks on islands against Ngata and Ross. That can definitely be a problem. But if, if, if Pitt can get good pressure with their front four, I think those safeties are going to start bailing and helping out those cornerbacks with Ngata and Ross. But, but finally, one of the things to know about this 4-3 over Remember, I said that it's, it's shifted away from the tight end, and it's and it it's, it's vulnerable to those weak side plays. So one of, one thing I'm also going to do there, if I'm pit here, is I'm going to flip my linebackers. And a lot of people are doing that with the four three over. You can take your 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 biggest, your strongest, your best tackling linebacker and put him on that weak side to protect that. So I think that's really Pitt's best recipe for success against this. Absolutely. I agree with you. So, you know, you mentioned some some quarters coverage, but also playing up kind of tight, showing a, a tight box. I think that's a very good point. They uh, really need to, you know, get a little creative at this point. I can't believe I'm saying this at this point. Try and try and get DJ ruffled and get him confused. And that seems to have been a little bit easier than right now than most people predicted. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I noticed also with, with DJ, particularly last week in the Syracuse game, is they, they've been utilizing him a lot in the quarterback draw and just running him up the middle. Now, he is a very big physical runner, but you got to wonder how long he can sustain those hits if they're going to keep relying on that. I agree. I agree. So, switching gears to Pitt's offense, uh, you know, first, I'm going to, you kind of hit on this a second ago. How did this team lose to Western Western Michigan? Like I, you, you made some great points about what Western Michigan did to them, but that is just nuts. Like that was the week after Pitt. If I'm remembering correctly, that's the week after Pitt beat Tennessee. So in SEC country, we were like, well, obviously Tennessee's not very good because Pitt can't be very good. They just lost to Western Michigan, right. and now they may be the best team in the ACC. And what's even crazier is. Western Michigan has turned around and lost to Ball State later in the season. And not no, no, no disrespect to Ball State. I, I got to be honest, I haven't looked at them a whole lot. I don't know that their record's great. So it's just kind of crazy that that happened. Kenny Pickett, senior quarterback at Pitt, three-year starter, 6'3", 220, prototypical size, arm strength. I'm going to call it right now, Thomas. Everybody mark it down on your – on your little memory list here, he will be the first quarterback drafted come April. Whoa. He will be the first quarterback drafted. I'm not saying he's going number one overall. I don't think any, we may not see a quarterback come off the board for a while. He will be the first to go. And I just, from what I've seen watching him, scouts are going to fall in love with this kid. He does everything you want him to do as a quarterback in the pros. 21 touchdowns to one interception. Already nearly 2,000 yards passing this season with five games left in the year. Over 60% of his passes. He may may very well be the best quarterback in the ACC right now. And Pitt fans will tell you, I've looked on some message boards, they've been screaming this for a while, that you know Sam Howell over in UNC had been getting too much pub, and this was the man that should, everybody should have been talking about. Hey, I hear you. I hear you. OC uh, Mark Whipple is their, off, their offensive coordinator. Thought of as a, a very, very smart football coach. Been an OC forever in the pros and in college. Pro-ish style, good mixed formation. He's not going to stay back, you know, spread five wide, four wide, stuff like that. He'll get under center every once in a while. 
And that's another thing I think that these uh, NFL teams are going to love about Pickett. He's just a stud. Looks to pass first mostly. They do throw the ball a little bit more than they run it. They will. This isn't an air raid. This isn't, you know, uh, Mike Leach at Mississippi State. I looked at nation stats, by the way, just to kind of go off record here for a second or off the mark. Mississippi State's like literally almost dead last in, in rushing. Now, I get that that's a part of their offense. You don't want to run the ball, but that's just crazy. I don't understand that. I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, here's the biggest thing, and it's very simple in my opinion for Pitt on offense. Keep Pickett's jerseys, jersey clean. Keep him from getting sacked. Keep Clemson's defensive line, which is still recovering from injury itself. Keep them from getting to him. Keep those blitzes that we know Venables is going to just light them up with. Be ready. Be ready to max protect. Be ready to communicate. Whatever you guys do uh, to protect against that. At Pitt, guys, go ahead. Uh, Coach White, if you can contact their defensive coordinator, have him uh, – I'm sorry, their offensive coordinator and, and O-line coach and have him call Coach Satterfield <laughs> and uh, Coach Atkins for when we play Clemson later in the year because I got a good feeling Pitt's going to play these guys – very well on these blitzes. They're going to pick them up. And as we know, if you've been watching Gamecock football, that's been a struggle. Thomas, how's Clemson going to defend this pit offense? Yeah, you're you're right with the blitzes. Uh, you know, unlike last week when I said I'm, I'm not I'm not going to blitz much and I'm going to be very selective when I blitz. Not this week. Pressure, pressure, pressure. That that's what I'm given this week. You know, Pickett as as and you're right. He's a phenomenal quarterback, and and he is he is right on probably Matt Corral and Malik Lindsay's or Malik Will, excuse me, right. uh, heels as far as the first quarterback being taken next year. But it, all that said, Pickett has been susceptible to pressure in the past. He's definitely improved on that a lot this year, but I'm going after him early and often. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to do it with linebacker pressure up the middle because if you blitz him up the middle like that and you just clog that middle, he's going to kill you with that swing pass and those leak outs. And again – also, I don't want to leave the middle of the field wide open. So I'm going to be very selective with uh, if, if, if I've, I've got to get pressure with my front four. But those edge blitzes, blitzing cornerbacks, that's exactly what I'm bringing as far as extra pressure. I'm going to let Skalski and uh, Balen Spector and those guys sit back, <clears throat> react and read. But quarters, again, that, that's, that's the, net, the, the term of the week. I'm sitting in quarters coverage all day. All day, I'm going to keep keep the big plays in front of me. I'm going to keep everything in front of me. But finally, honestly, if, if I'm if I'm Clemson's if, if I'm Venables, I'm just praying that our offense can sustain some drives because my defense right now doesn't have that depth like it usually does to be on the field the whole game. So I, I got to get some sustained drives out of the offense. Absolutely, uh, I totally agree. So we talk about uh, who you got. I mentioned Pitt is favored here by three and a half. I got Pitt. Is that who you got? No, only only because of that horseshoe I mentioned earlier. I I got burned last week. I felt really good about picking Syracuse uh, near the end of that game, but then Babers and crew just blew it. So until until I see that horseshoe fall out, I'm going with Clemson. But, you know, they're only averaging like 20 20 points a game, 114th in the country. Mm. So – I'm going Clemson in like a 20 to 17 type of game. Okay. All right. Now, let's let's pretend for just a second Clemson loses this game, okay? Let's pretend Pitt wins. Let's talk hypothetically here for a second. What if Pitt wins the ACC? Does, does a one-loss Pitt losing to Western Michigan, ACC champion, go to the playoffs? 
that that's that's a bad loss. I mean, I think it's hard it's hard to really say that because there's so many other moving parts. Right. What's going to happen in the SEC? What's going to happen out west? Right. Um, and then up in Big Ten country. So I, I don't. I think it's not out of the question, but a lot of other chips would have to fall their way with that Western Michigan loss. That's absolutely right. I agree with you. And, and so in the if you look speaking of chips, I mean, you look at the Big Ten. You've got. You know, Ohio State's kind of coming back to form. Michigan's still steamrolling some folks right now. Michigan State's looking strong. Iowa's got to bounce back off of their loss to Purdue. But those three could kind of take each other out. Those four could kind of take each other out. Yeah. So it is sort of uh, uh, possible that you could see a one-loss pit, uh, which that loss being to Western Michigan. Because, uh, okay, now let's say Bama. See, Bama's already got an SEC loss. So right. I mean, that's that's a tough thing right there. So I mean, you know, I don't see you getting two teams out of the SEC this year in the playoffs. You know, I think Georgia. You know, sorry Georgia fans, I'm I'm honestly not trying to jinx you. You know, they look like a lock for the playoff at this point, and there those other three spots. Now I will say all of this works in favor of one team, Cincinnati. Yeah, the, the the chaos in the other Power Five conferences help Cincinnati immensely. They stay undefeated and these other teams start picking each other off. You, you got a really good chance that they make it into the final four. So do you think even if let's say while we're on this, this hypothetical train here, let's say Georgia's one loss is to Alabama in the SEC championship game. So is Georgia out of the playoffs and Alabama goes as the winner of the SEC with one loss? I mean, that's the issue you get into. And so, yeah, Georgia slips up, screws the pooch in, in Atlanta for the championship, loses to a one-loss Alabama team. And, you know, now you got two one-loss SEC championship or SEC teams. Bama's the champion. You know, they, they've pulled the upset. Do they get to go in? And then did, did Georgia lose to an inferior Bama team? And so it becomes a, yeah, that becomes an interesting mark, but everybody up in Cincinnati, Ohio right now is sitting there rubbing their mitts together going, yeah, you, you guys keep causing chaos. You guys keep causing chaos. Yeah. Like we need you to yes. fall apart because we want to find our way in. And honestly, I'd like to see it an outside the power five team, make it in. All right. Carolina, Texas A&M. Uh, it was well early on. It was not tough sledding for the Gamecocks against Vanderbilt. First two drives looked pretty doggone good. Um, it, you know, really, really looked good. Had some pace to it and all those things. Yesterday in his press conference, Shane Beamer talked about message boards and fans, and he's sure that they're at nuclear level and that they're talking about play calling. And he kind of kind of challenged us and said, well, I, you know, you tell me what bad plays were called because I'm at a loss. Okay. Well, coach, you asked for it. I got a few for you. All right. Fourth and three from the Vanderbilt 13-yard line. Time's ticking away. It's under two minutes. You're up 14 to three. Kick a field goal. Or don't call a pass play under the sticks where you need three yards and you throw the ball to one yard. Now, I guess you could make the argument that wasn't the designed play, but it looked to me like the play was get the ball. I believe it was to Joiner, Have him make a play to make to the sticks. I don't like that call there. I don't like that call at all. And I don't like not kicking a field goal. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Need points. Need points. The points. 17-3 going in a half. You feel better about yourself. It's just it doesn't make sense. Then going to the well too often 
on the orbit reverse to Josh Van. We did that early in the game. We had had some, some success against Tennessee with that play where, you know, we looked like we're almost running a, a true option and he kind of intercepts the pitch. And I said then, now's the time. Great, we've had some big plays there. Teams are going to prepare for it. Now's the time to, to, to go ahead and let that pitch get carried out to your option, man. Van fakes like he caught the ball, throws his hands up like he got the ball, frees everybody, and that was the big play. Now, in my mind, it's a dead play. It's a dead play. The, off, the defense isn't, isn't scared of it anymore. They're not on their heels anymore. So you killed a setup play. That's a one-two punch play. You've been hitting them with the jab, hitting them with the jab. Now you throw that haymaker of, hey, we're not going to do what you think we're going to do. So that's a missed opportunity. Bad play call, in my opinion. Coming out in three wide, in the gun, after we get the stop on fourth and goal on the uh, three-yard line, not getting under center. Now, of course, we know that Luke Doty's foot is is pretty messed up considering he's now going to have season-ending uh, foot surgery. So maybe that's why. I don't know. But I don't like that call at all. I, that's a terrible formation. And I got to be honest with you, our play calling, in my opinion, are the is the worst in the two areas of the field it can't be. The red zone, where we make a lot of bad decisions and backed up against our own end zone. Yeah. When, you know, it's, it's the 20s, the 20 going into the, our opponent's end zone and the 20 with our backs to our own end zone is where we make the dumbest calls. We make it's like panic play calling. Exactly. And one of the things that drives me nuts next play. So we, we, we run the ball on a quarterback uh, keeper. I guess it was most likely a read on first and 10 from the three. Again, you had a hurt foot. You're telling me he's got a hurt foot. That's why we're not using, doing these formations, yada, yada, yada. Then you're going to run him. He obviously doesn't have the speed he's, he's had because his foot hurts real bad. He gets two yards, so now it's second and eight. The next play is a play action. You don't run play action there on second and eight on the five. Yeah. You, maybe on second and two, maybe on second and three, not second and eight. That don't make any sense. And on top of that, you weren't ready for the extra blitzers that came. He had to throw it in a panic. Then, So now it's third and eight. Now it's third and long, shadow of your own end zone. We're still trying to throw the deep ball. We're still putting extra guys in routes. You don't think they're going to bring the heat on third and eight when you're looking at your backs up against the wall of your own end zone? So, Coach Beamer, if you want to talk bad play calls, there's a few for you. I can do a whole episode on it. If you want to give me a call, we can chat about this, and I can tell you what I see as an observer I'd like to think an educated observer of what bad play calls we've called. I mentioned this earlier. Um, Luke Doty out for the year. Zeb comes in, saves the day, uh, last drive, and, and leads us down the field. Supposedly said in the huddle, if you keep me clean, uh, I'll take us to this win. And sure enough, he did. Great job for him. Excited for him. Stuff of legend that he will be able to tell people forever. Where was the fullback, Thomas? The fullback, yeah. you heard it back. Yeah, weren't we supposed to see more fullback this week? I, I didn't see much. Was that the old, the old okie doke? Oh, we're going to run a lot of fullback. Nah, sorry. Actually, three wide, four wide. Doesn't make Must sense. So now, what do you do with Zeb? And and uh, Coach Satterfield mentioned this today. I hope he's right. A uh, lot of formation changes, being under center a little bit more. I want to see eye formation, offset eye. God almighty, Thomas, if they actually ran ace – the two tight end 12 package that you and I've been talking about under center now for, I don't know, the whole season. If they actually did that, I may have a heart attack. So please, please, <laughs> please do it. Let's get the ball 
to Zaquandre Wright. What has Zaquandre Wright done to not get the ball more? He got the ball 12 times against Eastern Illinois and rushed for over 100 yards. Then, granted, against East Carolina, he struggled a little bit. Fine. Go with your hot hand. Whatever. Whatever you need to do. But then he, he really hadn't touched the ball in a really long time since then. Gets 12 carries last uh, Saturday night for a total of 34 carries all year long. And he's had six, six receptions. Why is that guy not getting the ball in space? You got an offensive line that can't open up holes. Why are you not swinging it to that young man? Why are you not slanting it to that young man? Having to run angle out of the backfield as a tailback. So what we got to do? <laughs> Again, broken record. Block well. I mean, that's just point blank. Block well. Pick up blitzers. Block. Quick throws. And for the love of everything holy, stop holding people. Stop. I think we had five holding calls against Vanderbilt. Maybe six. Just stop doing it. And then I'm going to lean into the mic on this one because I know Coach Beamer's listening because he, he asked me about bad play calls and I gave him a few. <laughs> Coach Beamer, when you get a chance, fourth and medium in an area that you have your field goal kicker able to kick, get the three points. Get them. Stop doing it. Your, D, your offense can't do it. I know you the itch of, oh, we're going to be aggressive. Oh, we got the perfect play call. Stop it. You are who you are. Kick the field goal. Get the points. Stop leaving points out on the field. All right, Thomas, how is AM going to defend this mess of an offense? Man, I just got to say, you're, you're really calling down the thunder on, uh, on beams here. I kind of like it, but, um, you know, he might clap back. You never know. He asked, he, asked, he asked to know what the bad play calls were. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, anyway, this uh, – A&M coming in this game, you know, and, and watching film, if, if I'm A&M here watching film on South Carolina, particularly knowing that, that Doty is out, there is not that run threat. You've got to worry about Zeb Nolan, who, who is, is definitely more of a pocket guy. He doesn't have the wheels on him. But So first and foremost, I want to get South Carolina behind the sticks. I want to put them in second long, third and long. But I'm also going to be lining my safeties up 10 to 12 yards off the ball and I'm going to creep one up closer as the offense gets set. You, you see a lot of defenses do this, particularly in an offense that, that has to use a lot of check with me. And, and, when, and when we say check with me, <clears throat> you'll see an offense come get set, and they look to the sidelines. But basically the whole team looks to the sidelines because that's your offensive coordinator wants to see what the defense is set in, and then he's going he's gonna to switch it if he needs to. So, so basically I, I, I'm going to be creeping up. I want to change the numbers in the box. And I think this is just going to crush Satterfield's decision-making. That's, that's when those check with me's. You're, you're going to see a lot of those, and then the defense is going to adjust, and then you're not going to have that advantage there. I'm also going to be utilizing some overload blitzes. And when I say overload blitzes, that's exactly what they are. They're designed to, to flood one side of the offensive line, which is usually nine times out of ten going to give you a, a free runner coming at the quarterback. I want to create confusion with the protection schemes. And I really think this is, this is a great recipe for success for A&M because the way that offense is going or not going rather is going to result in a lot of negative plays. But finally, uh, I, I want to make Zeb uncomfortable on third down, starting pre-snap. I want to be crowding the line of scrimmage. It's going to make, it's going to make it really difficult to identify who's coming, who's not. You also mentioned earlier about, about throwing passes under the sticks whenever you've got to get that first down. So on third and eight, 10, which I think South Carolina will be in quite a bit, I'm going to be bringing extra rushers 
And I'm going to tell my guys, don't cover idiot routes. Idiot routes are, are routes that only an idiot would cover so the guy at the sticks gets open. I, that's absolutely correct. I mean, honestly, when you look at South Carolina's offensive game plan, as a defensive coordinator, I almost feel like a lot of times you have to tell your defense, don't get caught up looking at that nonsense. Like, don't – like, they're going to do some stuff that you're going to be like, what are they doing? I should probably go make sure that's not a trick play. No, don't worry about it. Don't, yeah. don't worry about it. Uh, plan. So, yeah, I hear you there. All right. So, on offense for the Texas A&M Aggies, you have Zach – uh, Calzada, right? Calzada. You got it. There yep. you go. Yeah. Well, the interesting about Calzada is he, he kind of struggled a little bit early against Colorado. They went out to Boulder maybe week two, week three, uh, early in the season. Didn't have a great game. Now, he was not the original starter. Am I thinking incorrectly there? No, you're, you're correct. That was uh, Haynes King, I believe, uh, blew out his knee earlier. And then he struggled. Then Calzada kind of came in and struggled a little bit earlier, which anybody might do off the bench. So, you know, he's really kind of come into his own. Obviously, he beat Alabama, um, just like Steven Garcia at Carolina. Uh, you know, Calzada can drink off the fact that he beat Alabama in College Station anytime he wants for the next 20 or so years. So, you know, he he's really building confidence. If I'm the OC for Texas A&M, I'm attacking the deep middle of the field against South Carolina off of play action, even against Vanderbilt. I, let me say this. Our Carolina defense has been very good, very, very, very good, particularly at getting turnovers. But where we seem to have a weakness is we get caught on play action looking in that backfield, especially if it's play action with a quarterback rollout. Our eyes don't stay on our, our guys in routes. And t- Vandy had, what, two big, big gains because of that during the game on yep. Saturday. I'm sure that's something they're working on and, and not letting that and eye candy get you caught up. But if I'm Texas A&M, until I see they, they're going to fix that, that's what my plan is. I want to get Spiller involved earlier and, and get him making plays, and then we're going to play action off that and hit that deep middle on a rollout flood concept type situation or a backside post, which has killed us, killed us against Tennessee for a big touchdown after a bad series. Uh, oh, that was the uh, genius uh, defensive end uh, tailback pass situation where they got the ball and then threw a bomb over our heads on a play action. So really, really attack that play action, deep middle, deep third, um, you know, really uh, that, but again, if Carolina and you got some young guys and you got a new system, if they can work this weekend practice to get their eyes right, get their keys right, they got, they, they have a chance to stop that. But that's where I think the weaknesses I'm going to attack if I'm Texas A&M. Thomas, what are the Gamecocks going to do on defense? You know, starting up front, and it's been a little bit of a mixed bag on offensive line for A&M. Uh, looking back at some earlier games, they, they seem to, to trot out a different starting lineup on offensive line every week. Uh, depending on who's in there, they, they've, they've shown some vulnerability, particularly on that left side, uh, pressure coming from that way. But also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be moving J.J. around a lot. I've, I've started to see us do that more and try to get him in, in some situational mismatches. Um, but Calzada has, has shown, it, even in games where he's done well, um, he struggles with pressure up the middle. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to get creative there, but I want to be, again, very selective with my linebacker blitzes. As we've mentioned before, speed and athleticism right now is lacking at linebacker for South Carolina. So uh, I'm not super confident in their ability to get home on every blitz, and which, you know, is just going to put more stress on your back five and man coverage. And also, 
Aaron Sterling, Jordan Strawn, who have played really, really high level lately, oftentimes are a little bit too aggressive on blitzes and they'll overshoot the play. But I also really want those linebackers to be able to cover that running back that's going to be leaking out, those rollouts you mentioned on play action. But finally, if you blitz A&M on a run play and you don't stop Spiller, he's gone, man. So he's going to gash you. It's off to the races. It's one of those things you blitz, he gets past you, and there's a big old gap, and he's going to make you pay for it. Um, all right. So, Thomas, ultimately, when you look at it, who you got? Who you got winning this ball game? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to go A&M here. I mean, College Station, it, it's going to be loud. It's going to be rowdy. They've got a lot of stuff to play for now. Um, I think A&M is going to take this one. I don't think they're going to cover. I think the line is around 21-22. Yeah. But I'm looking at like a 35-17 type of game. Yeah, I think I think Texas A&M wins pretty big here. Um, now, listen, I'm pulling for Zeb. I love the story. And, you know, somebody pointed out um, on one of the message boards or, or Twitter or something, he, you know, he looked good at moments when he was in the game, um, you know, before he hurt his hand and really had a pretty decent drive or two uh, in Athens um, before he got his hand stepped on. Coach Beamer pointed out he's 2-0 and as a starter. Uh, so, you know, or yeah, two and O because he didn't get to finish the, the Georgia game. Um, but you know, obviously we've talked numerous times early in the year about, you know, former GA was going to be coaching. So he's a smart person, knows the game of football, knows the offense, literally helped draw the playbook. It, but, you know, as good as he looked against Vanderbilt for that last drive, they weren't rushing a whole lot of guys. They weren't blitzing anybody. They weren't pressuring him. Uh, you know, if, again, if we can pick up pressure, I mean, again, I feel like a broken record. If we can pick up pressure and he cannot have to run for his life, he can make some plays. But unfortunately, I think the Aggies are going to be too much. All right, getting into our game of the week, LSU at Old Miss. You know, we'll talk uh, LSU offense here in just a second. But, Thomas, the first thing I want to say, obviously, if you're a college football fan, you know by now that we made a joke about it as we opened. LSU and Ed Orgeron have, have announced he will not be coaching after this season, that he will be, I, I guess he's calling it retiring. Um, but my question is, you got a whole bunch of injuries on LSU all over the field, and your head coach just said, hey, I'm, I'm done after this year. How focused is LSU going into Oxford, Mississippi? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it can go one of two ways. You can have the uh, the the guys just, you know, people are going to be opting out and it's like I'm not risking injury or the, the people that aren't going on to the next level just screw it, who cares? On the flip side of that, you could have the, you know, Orgeron, you know, win one for the Gipper type deal. If they, you know, Orgeron is a player's coach. They love him. So yeah, it could go one of two ways. But honestly, yeah, man, I, I, don't, I don't really see a whole lot of focus out of this LSU team. Could, be, could that be a play on win-win for the Gipper, win-one for the Gumbo? See what I did there? Ooh, ooh, there you go. That, I'll allow it. Oh, that's, you know, that's a T-shirt if it works out. All right. So let's get into the actual meat of this. Max Johnson, starting quarterback for LSU, son of former Super Bowl winning NFL quarterback Brad Johnson, um, having a great year, having a great year, thrown for almost 2,000 yards, 20 touchdowns, only four interceptions, completing over 60% of his passes. The big issue has been he's been sacked 14 times. It's a pretty good amount of sacks. Um, you know, that, that's been some, some holdbacks there. Um, Tyron Davis Price. Did I say that right? His first name, Tyron? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah you on it. Kind of sounds like a law firm. But anyway, he just got into – that was our my big 70-pounder making her way down the steps. 
Um, he kind of he's at over 500 yards rushing for the season, but that's with the great game he had against the Gators where he rushed for almost 300 yards and three touchdowns. So he has really, if you look at their team stats on offense and their rush yards, you got a 300 yard rushing game that kind of made that look a little bit better than it was. That's sort of been the holdup for LSU on offense is the running the ball um, injuries and whatnot have hurt them there. Um, but here is the issue um, that really is the best thing about him. Zero fumbles this year. Really, really strong. Um, they are, but as a team rushing, sorry, I, I was looking for a stat. I knew I had written down in my notes. As a team rushing, Thomas, we just talked about South Carolina offense, right? We just talked <laughs> about uh, their rushing attack, right? And how it's, it's been lacking. Oh, yeah. This team as a team is 12 yards behind South Carolina rushing. 12 yards by it's never I hate to use the team I love and 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 you know am a huge fan of and an alumni of the university and all of that stuff but as the measuring stick for not great but right now we're not great and they are behind us in the rushing game so that's not a solid here's something very interesting Thomas OC this year Jake Keats is that am I saying that right Pete's Pete's yeah I guess yeah it's two P's it's hard to tell He's got a little pro and college background. He's a Joe Brady guy. Joe Brady guy, just like our boy Marcus Satterfield up in Columbia, South Carolina. So, you know, here's my question. And, again, I don't want to get us off the rails too much here. He was an offensive analyst back in 2019. Fantastic season for LSU. Undefeated. Heisman Trophy winner. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. National champion. Set records. And it made Joe Brady look like a genius. It, did Joe Brady just have great players? You never know. That's kind of what um, a, a lot of people are saying at this point. I mean, that's that's kind of starting to emerge as a knock on him. I mean, I think time will tell ultimately, but maybe. I mean, you know, you look at the guys who played for him on that 2019 team and the collection of talent, particularly Joe Burrow, who has been trophy winner, first overall pick, has really lived up to his billing so far uh, other than getting injured his rookie year, um, coming back looking strong is it, you know, the chicken or egg argument, was it the LSU players or was it Joe Brady's offense? Yeah, are we going to call this the, the the Tony Elliott effect now? Because this sounds reminiscent of that. Could Ooh. be. We are throwing shade at all the teams from South Carolina. Um, so it could be. It could be. So anyway, back to how they attack Ole Miss. You're going to talk about it, I'm sure, because we've already been texting about it this week, this unusual scheme Ole Miss runs. And because of it, I'm attacking the short to intermediate areas of the field with swing routes and with slants. And then at the intermediate routes, I'm going the out because there is a lot of green grass from hash mark to sideline in this defense. That's where I'm attacking. For the same reason of that, I'm attacking B-gap exclusively, not exclusively, but really heavily majority of the time in my running game. They like to bring pressure from outside. And I I think you can – we talked just a second about that with Texas A&M and Spiller. And if we blitz and don't catch him, the same thing could happen for Ole Miss against LSU's running backs if they can get into those gaps. So, Thomas, tell us a little bit about this Ole Miss defensive scheme that is so interesting. Yeah, so (laughs) Ole Miss is running a a 3-2-6. which is a 3-2-6. Three, two, six, which is definitely a new one for me, but but I kind of love it. Um, 
briefly just just as kind of how this how this defense came about is primarily designed to defend against spread offenses a lot of people if you think about it if you've only got essentially three down linemen two linebackers one of the knocks on it is going to be for its lack of, of ability to hold up against the run but I think based on what I've very briefly scratched the surface on this defense it can definitely hold up to the run if you've got the right personnel, which I don't think that Ole Miss has yet. So basically the way that Ole Miss uses this is they like to use their three down linemen to engage five offensive linemen. So essentially you've got each defensive lineman eating up two blockers, which is going to free up gaps for your linebackers to clean up. Uh, one of the benefits of this is, of course, it gives, it gives your linebackers the ability to play downhill fast and blow up those plays in the backfield. But again, the problem right now for Ole Miss and this defense is they don't have the personnel up front for this. So they got to get a little creative with it. Linebacker Sam Williams, absolutely their best edge rusher. They move him around a lot and try to get him in good situational matchups. So sometimes this defense looks like a 4 2 5 because they'll move Williams around. Yeah. He, he comes up as an edge rusher. But so with all that said, the way that I think Ole Miss is going to play, um, is going to defend LSU here is. Uh, again, because I don't have the right personnel for this defense yet, I I'm not going to be able to be as aggressive as I want to be. I'm not going to blitz as much. I'm going to have to sit back in coverage. Um, I'm probably going to keep my, my five of my defenders in under zone coverage, keeping the rest of my guys deep. I don't want to give up that deep ball. But this way, it's, it's, it's going to help them from getting burned deep. But also, as you mentioned, those quick slants and hitting the middle of the field, it's going to clog up those zones for those underneath routes. Finally, in red zone and third down situations, I'm going to roll out some bracket coverage. I think we even talked about bracket coverage way back in the Super Bowl preview. Yep, yep, we did. I guess the end of last season was that? Yep, yep, yep. yep. Yeah, so so just very basically, uh, essentially bracket coverage is essentially double team the wide receiver, but you've got under-over brackets and you've got in-out. Mm -hmm. Under-over is your vertical bracket where you're going to have one DB trailing to cover the underneath routes with the other one covering that deep ball, that safety on the back end. You're in out, which is going to be your horizontal bracket. You've got one DB covering the outside routes. I think that's usually probably going to be hash to sidelines. Your other one's got anything inside the hashes there. So I'm definitely going to roll some of that out in red zone, third down coverage, but I'm going to be a little conservative and try to get pressure up front. I agree with you there. I mean, LSU does have a, a, a like I said, a very good passing attack in particular. So you can't, if you don't, they don't necessarily have the players for this unusual exotic defense quite yet. But uh, I, yeah, I think they could confuse uh, LSU or yeah, LSU's Max Johnson at, at the very least. Ole Miss on plan on offense, play Lane Kiffin football, uh, you know, take advantage of, you know, mismatches, find those weak areas in the zone, figure out Lane has a very, and I, I can't believe I'm going to, say these words and probably get murdered maybe even by you he has a steve spurrier-esque quality to him and that he's got that ability to kind of get in the defensive coordinator's head at times and he knows the adjustments you're going to make and he's going to call the perfect play call it's not i mean he's not steve spurrier nobody's steve spurrier but he's got that tendency of it's not just this play it's i'm setting i'm using this play to set up a play three plays from now and i'm going to score a touchdown on you because of this play yeah, yeah, it's 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 kind of beauty to watch. And one of my favorite things about watching their offense, particularly Lane Kiffin when he's calling plays, is and he did this at Alabama when he was the OC there. 
or uh, analyst and then an OC there. But it, you can see him. If you see them run a deep ball, look at kept on the sidelines. If you see him throw his arms up in the air, it's a touchdown. As long as they catch that ball because he knows he's got the, the perfect matchup and he's dead to rights. Uh, absolutely. And, um, you know, their quarterback, Mac, it's Coral, right? Is that it's Coral? Corral. Corral. My bad. Ooh. Corral. Corral. Looks like Corral. Cool. All right. Um, Heisman, probably the Heisman Trophy. Uh, you know, we've been asking this question for a little while now. Probably the Heisman Trophy favorite at the moment. Um, and again, I think he'll get drafted very high. I mentioned Kenny Pickett from Pitt being the first guy taken off the board. I think he just fits that quote unquote prototypical offensive guy from the NFL's dream of a quarterback. You know, having that big, thick frame, big arm, still mobile enough to move. I see him getting, you know, in those in those drills they run when they run the workouts and he's going against air and then at the combine and the wonderlick test and the interviews. I just feel like he's going to ace those. Um, but I could be wrong. Could be could be corral. Um, but Pitt, Ole Miss is just going to play Ole Miss football, which is fling it all over the field. Yeah, they'll run it some. But it's they they are passing and they're really pa- they're going to run the ball to throw you off. Um, it is he does have a Steve Spurrier esque type offense. They want to overload the zone. They want to know, you know. I, I remember back in season one talking to Perry Orth and talking about Steve Spurrier's offense, and he was watching the Orlando um, Apollos uh, play in the league. Spurrier was coaching at the time. He saw how the defense was lined up and instantly knew where the ball was going. And I think Lane Kiffin has that same approach of I'm going to line up you're going to line up a certain way. And I'm going to, I've already got it called to where we've got a beater for whatever you're trying to run to one side of the field. And if we don't, we're going to check out of it and have a really good play. LSU's defense, Thomas, how are they going to stop Ole Miss? Whew, that's a, that's a tall order. Um, I, don't, I don't know that, that a lot of people can really stop Ole Miss and just hope to slow them down. But, but you know, also, Matt Corral, who, who, who played his tail off last week, rushed for almost 200 yards. You know, he, he's yeah. – I think he's a little banged up, but, but you know, is, is skipping, blowing smoke. Like, you, you don't know if this, is, if this is typical, like, oh, he's just banged up because he just got the crack kicked out of him because he ran for 200 yards or if there's right. something there. But regardless, I, I think Corral's definitely playing. Um, but defending them, I mean – this LSU team, as you mentioned, particularly defensively, they've been obliterated by injuries, most notably starting defensive ends and two of their starting cornerbacks. So I'm, I'm not expecting a lot of push from the defensive line up front. I want to give my DBs as much help as possible. Again, the word of the day is quarters coverage. Quarters, quarters, quarters all day here. Um, I want my DBs to keep everything in front of them because Ole Miss, so much of his offense is predicated on those big chunk plays. And I want to make them have to drive the field. Field. Finally, you, you got to put a spy on Corral. I mean, he can he can take the top off of you, but he can make you pay again. Like you said, rush for over 200 yards against UT last week. So you got to spy him. Yeah, he he's he's a good, very good athlete. Um, very good. Um, I really, you know, he's fun to watch. There's no doubt about it. He's a lot of fun to watch play football. All right, Thomas. At the end of the day, with all that being said, who you got? Yeah, I mean, this is Ole Miss. They're going to keep rolling here. Uh, again, regardless of, of of what LSU shows up, the the win one for the gumbo or the <laughs> just just mail it in. Um, you know, Ole Miss is going to roll here. I'm looking like a like a forty twenty type of game. 
I'm with you on that. I really am. Uh, it, it's going to be a bigger win. Uh, this is this could get ugly uh, in LSU down at the. Oh, this is in Oxford. Never mind. They're going to be celebrating uh, out at the Grove, drinking some hotty toddies. Um, Cooper Manning will be out there getting getting toe up. But uh, apparently, apparently they're honoring Eli Manning. It's going to be Eli Manning Day. I think they've got Eli Manning in the end zones instead of Ole Miss. But uh, you know, I just see a distracted LSU team. Uh, I don't see them coming out, you know, playing super hard when, you know, your coaches, Hey, you know, Oh, we got to do it. Oh, no, 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 go Tigers. And you know, you're, you're done at the end of the year in five weeks. And supposedly there was already been issues of, of culture issues and, 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 you know, some infighting and word has it rumor has it that at sometimes Ed Ogeron was bringing his girlfriends, uh, and their children to practice and letting his kids run some drills during practice. Like, nah, man, this, this is not little league football. Uh, we don't, we don't do that here. Now, now the one thing that you're, that if you're an Ole Miss fan that you're hoping and praying for here is of course you, you want to beat LSU, but the one thing you don't want to happen is at the end of that game, you don't want Lane Kiffin getting on that bus and going back to Baton Rouge and signing a contract with LSU. That's true. That could happen. Keep 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 an eye on him. Keep an eye on him, Rebels. Make yeah. sure he gets on your bus. Yeah, be, I'm handcuffing him to his desk after right. that game. Don't don't let him be. Oh, uh, I'll meet the team at the. I'll meet the team <laughs> at the airport. Uh, yeah, I'll be back. I'll be back. Got to take care of some things. Yeah. All right, Bowen. As always, a great week. Enjoy talking ball. It's always fun. Uh, you know, hey man. Hopefully the Gamecocks play well. To be honest with you. Uh, I'd like to see some life out of Clemson. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say I want them to win, but I I certainly would like to see some life out of them. And uh, goodness knows we're going to see some chaos. This seems to be the season of chaos. I think we'll see some more this week. Yeah, man, it was a, uh, we'll uh, looking forward to the weekend. I think we're going to have to try to find some good games here and there. This is definitely a, uh, as Heath Klein likes to say, a seeds and stems type of weekend. Yes, it is. All right, Gamecock fans and football fans and Tiger fans and everybody else in between. Thanks for listening. Check us out on social media at SAA football fan uh, on Twitter and on Instagram, Facebook. It is the slightly above average football fan podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate and review us. We will see you next time.